You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Pass, uh, I, I really wanted to wear my Red Sox hat today, but I figured that wouldn't be such a good idea. And there's not a, le- not a lot to be happy about the Red Sox this year. Uh, so, but that, that's an unimportant aside. Uh, you've heard from us, Dan and Rachel Zuck. We're church planting and leading in Austria and Germany. As uh, over the years, as God has continued to work and transform us, we went through a phase in our church that we had started there with a team of people. Uh, and during the a phase where we were growing, people were coming to know the Lord. Uh, there, were, there was a great children's ministry. Uh, things were really going well to the point that uh, we had to think, okay, do we want to get a new building? Do we go to two worship services? What do we do? All those things we were thankful for because God was at work, but there was a gnawing... Uh, question in the back of my mind during that time. It was, are we really doing the main thing? And when we look at scripture, we find that the main thing is making disciples. And it's so easy in the life of a church to start doing other things that are good things, and maybe even necessary things, but to, to in such a way that they dominate us in a church and discipleship gets more and more pushed to the side and it becomes like an optional accessory for those that want to go deeper instead of kept at the center of our identity and what we're all about. And so some of what I'm sharing with you is grows out of our experience. And I have a series of messages that I do under the title, Keeping the Main Thing the Main Thing. And I just want to just go through these, even though it's going to be, I'm only going to zero in on one. We have great news. We have the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus preached the gospel. What did he say? Well, it was the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time had arrived. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. And his whole ministry, his whole ministry was to to demonstrate that fact and to teach about it. What were the characteristics of God's kingdom that had broken into this world when he came into the world? The gospel and justice. Now, I know that justice is, is, is a hard topic these days politically. And uh, I'm very aware of that. But this is what I want to focus in on today. That justice is something that flows out of the gospel. We're going to talk about that. Another living as an apprentice of Jesus. A disciple is like an apprenticeship being a disciple. We learn from Jesus. We get molded to be like him and learn to do the things that Jesus did. And then this new community, 
that flows out of his salvation work on the cross and his resurrection and ascension and the giving of the Spirit created a new community, a new covenant community. And one of the things that should characterize this new community of believers is that they are a community that forgives. It's a community of forgiveness. That's just a little bit of an advertisement for some of the things I talk about. But I want to talk about doing justice and preaching grace. And if we look at Luke 4, 14 to 21, which is going to be my main text, Jesus had already announced that the kingdom had been inaugurated, that it had come into this world with him. And this was early on in his ministry. And he had been down in the south of Israel near Jerusalem. And, and he comes back up to Nazareth, which was his hometown. And the following incident takes place. Luke chapter 4, 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit... And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found that place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has announced me to preach good news or he's, announced me, he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Um, try to set yourself into the scene. Now, I don't know if anybody here has a Jewish background or not, but these are... Jewish people living during Roman occupation time in their land. They're, it's the Sabbath. They're at the synagogue worshiping according to their traditions. And as was one of the things that they did, one person would read the scripture. And they would stand up and they would take, the, they were handed the roll from the synagogue attendant. The, that one particular scroll would be opened up and it would be read. And this is Isaiah 41 that Jesus read, primarily Isaiah chapter 41, 1 to 2. And when, <coughs> I'm sorry, 61, 1 to 2, not 41. And so he read this scripture, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And it was also the custom that, the, that a person could make comments about the scripture that had just been read. 
And I, I, I love the tension that Luke builds into the text here. He says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, we don't know how long Jesus sat there before he said something. It could have been a couple minutes. We, we just don't know how long that was. But then he said something that is unbelievable. Today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Preaching the gospel to the poor, proclaiming freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is unbelievable that he would say, this is fulfilled today with the implication in me. In me, this is fulfilled. Now there's a background to this text in Isaiah 61, 1-2. We're not going to look at these, but this was a quote, a lot of this was a quote from Isaiah 61, 1-2. It's what Isaiah said to those Jews who were still in the Babylonian, cap Babylonian captivity. And he said what Jesus quoted here, and it was, it was God saying through his prophet Isaiah, hey, it's going to get better after, after these 70 years. It's going to get better. But there's an even deeper background or layer to what's going on here. And that's in Leviticus 25.8. And it has to do with the year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee was something that God said Israel should do, should practice, and it was a time where every 50 years, debts would be forgiven, land would be restored to the original landowners, the family landowners, and it was like a reboot for society. Now, there's a big debate, did the Jews ever really practice that or not? Some say yes, some say no. We don't know for sure, but... In any case, Jesus is saying, and particularly with, the, with 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So there's the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, where there would be the reboot for the good of the people, for the good of the land, for, for, for the people who lived in Israel who were Jews. There was Isaiah riffing off that and saying, hey, you Jews who are in Babylon, we Jews who are in Babylon, it's going to get better. There's going to be release for the prisoners. And here comes Jesus on the scene. And he puts, with all that background, he says, today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, it's happening right now. The kingdom has come. And one of the things that he said was, it's going to be proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery for the blind, to release the oppressed, preaching the gospel to the poor. That has to do 
with justice, social justice. And again, I'm very aware of what a hot topic item that is where memes are there and, and generalizations are made in one direction or another direction. And unfortunately, they tend to rule out any conversation that's based on listening to learn from other people what they mean. And it's just meant to strike people down. Um, but justice, oops, that's not supposed to be there yet. Hang on. Um, justice is a very, very important issue to God. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament and you see what the prophets said to the people of Israel, a lot of it was because they were not handling other people justly, whether it was the poor, the immigrants, the widows, the orphans, the prophets had an immense amount to say. And they say, if you are the covenant people of God, which you are Israel, you need to take care of these people that are on the, on the, on the outcasts, uh, that are the outcasts of society. That is your job as my people. But I want us to get a better overview of this now through this Bible Project video that talks about justice. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. 
Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Hey, this is John and Tim from the Bible Project. Thanks for. Sorry about that. Preaching the gospel, the good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom 
for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As God worked in our life in Vienna, continued to transform us, work in us, our eyes were opened that our church and we needed to be involved in much more than just telling people about Jesus so they could be saved. Now, that's important, and we did that. We needed to be about much more than just growing our church. We needed to become the people of God that God intended as individuals, as a couple, and as a church. And one of the things that God did was led Rachel initially to form Heartworks or Herzwerk as an expression of this gospel, the good news of the kingdom that was to be announced and lived out in Vienna for men and women in prostitution and for people that had been trafficked. Rachel. So I just want to share a bit of a story because that's what it's all about, right? It's about individual lives. It's about one person at a time. And uh, I'll just give you a little tiny bit of background to the story. Um, we shared at the 9 o'clock hour about two women who God brought to, our, uh, to work with us um, at just the right time because we suddenly were inundated with, with hundreds of Chinese women. And we had no idea what was happening in their lives and, and everything. And so God brought two women who speak fluent Mandarin and Cantonese. Um, and, uh, you know, they, are, they were able to go out. They were able to start ministering to these ladies and everything um, from China. And uh, one of the ladies um, I talked about today has an amazing story. She's written a book. Um, you really need to read this book. It's one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. The other woman, Faith is an American who was in China for 10 years, and she was really, really investing in uh, a woman who we'll call Ming. And, and just to let you know, Ming uh, was not the first child in her family. And if you know anything about China, they had for a long time the one-child law. And so when, her, when Ming's mother became pregnant, she went out of the city, went to the village, and had her. Um, she was brought up by a relative out in the village, and she'd never even had a birth certificate. Um, literally, she never existed um, until traffickers found her and brought her. And this is a little bit of her story. This is a woman that we have prayed, had prayed for for years and years and years, and, um, and it's just amazing, her story. Um, and this is from Faith's perspective. Faith wrote this update. We met when I first came to do an internship as a temporary Chinese translator for Herzwerk on outreach. I still remember what her toes looked like in her house slippers and bathrobe. She didn't belong in a brothel. None of them do. After a traumatic raid during which a gun was held to her head, followed by disrespect during a police interview through a translator, she came to Herzwerk for help. Her life since then has been a series of steps of faith. She at first didn't even believe there was a God and definitely didn't trust us. When a Hetzwerk worker was talking with the police at an appointment with her, 
In a language she didn't understand, the interaction was so cordial that Ming later said, I thought she was in on it with the police. Since then, so much has changed. In my last update, I shared about her recent decision to follow Jesus. Once she said to me, I don't even know if I believe, I, I don't know if I believe in Jesus, but I believe in you guys. At the end of last year, she was finally able to trust Jesus, who is so much more worth believing in. We've been praying for her and waiting for miracles as we've gone through legal channels to, to try and resolve her status as an invisible person in Austria. After a grueling and tear-filled five-year legal process and a court procedure yesterday, the judge granted her the right to permanent protection from deportation from Austria and the right to work legally. The night before the hearing, I awoke several times checking my alarm. When, when I made it through the courtroom security check to meet her, she told me she had slept through the night and had had a good dream. This is after six years of constant nightmares and sleep interruptions, for several years only sleeping one to two hours a night because of the terrors. In sharp contrast to her previous pattern, this night, God gave her the miracle of good rest as well as a good dream in which the court case went quickly and smoothly and she was granted a positive decision. She looked beautiful in a purple suit dress and was very composed for someone in whose testimony the rest of her life seemed to sit. Over the years, she has become less and less isolated. She was surrounded as we prayed by a loving posse composed of her adoptive parents, her pastor and another friend. As we finished praying, a cute old man in a sport jacket, tie, and crushed strawberry pants came through and asked who our judge was. The lawyer, uh, the lawyer Marion, replied with a name, and he held out jauntily, that's my daughter, tell her hi for me. This never happens in an Austrian courtroom. Contrary to our expectation, the judge allowed not only me and the lawyer in, but also her pastor and the couple who had taken her in. I might have been called on to wit as a witness, and I was the only person other than Ming who could understand all three languages, so, um, German, Chinese, and English, and could keep an eye on the translator. So previously, it had been determined that in all cases, I could be there. She was surrounded by praying friends. Ming had steeled herself for any possible treatment in the courtroom. It's not unheard of for judges to ask shaming questions and for a person with a lot of traumatic and embarrassing details in her past, a judge in a bad mood can turn the courtroom into a place of re-traumatization. However, the judge accepted the previous evidence and testimony about her trafficking experience without further unpleasant testimony required. We were appealing a previous court decision and also appealing a false statement from the foreign police for which we had witnesses. Thankfully, when Marion began to explain this, the judge just cut her off and said, I believe you. I was very relieved on several levels. I have never yet had to testify in German and found the idea daunting. Ming is so brave to sit under questioning so many times. One of the final decisions, one of the final questions before the judge called for recess was what Ming would want to do if she were allowed to stay and work legally in Austria. I want to finish my current courses making up my elementary and middle school education. She had never gone to school in her life. After that, I will start work and take night classes to finish high school. After that, I'd like to attend a technical school for social work so that I can use my own terrible experiences to help others going through the same thing. 
we all could have just stood up and cheered. The judge began talking quickly in legalese to Marion. Some of what we, she said was going over my head, but I thought I heard her say that she was prepared to rule in our favor. I couldn't really believe my ears, and it all happened so fast. She called for recess so that Marion could confer with, with Ming. We quickly uh, filed out of the courtroom, and Marion turned to us jubilant. You got it, she said, and we all burst into tears, including Marion the lawyer. I'm not allowed to cry, and I'm not supposed to hug, she said guiltily after we all wildly embraced. This means everything to her. And uh, Faith wrote the verses at the end. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of praise. Then it was said among the nations, our Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those, hits me every time, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. On this, this slide here, you can see Ming uh, after she got her legalized status. And, uh, and the picture on the right-hand side, that's Faith, uh, who works, one of the workers with Hadstack, with Heartworks. And this is her, her adoptive mom and dad uh, that have taken her in, and all these people God used uh, in Ming's life so that she could be free. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, captivity in Babylon, and Jesus coming into the world where he is the ultimate fulfillment of all those things. And he has entrusted us with this gospel to carry on what he began. Now, I don't know if a situation or a person or a group of people came to your mind as we were reading that scripture or you heard about heartworks uh, or you heard something that I said. But if the Lord laid a person or, an act, or, or, or um, a group of people on your heart or perhaps something that prompted you with, hey, I could be involved in something to help in this way, I want you to ask you to take that seriously. Don't allow which, and I'm speaking from personal experience, believe me. It is so easy after the worship service, after the handshakes and the hugs, to get back into the normal routine of life. And what was a prompting from the Spirit of God or something that God may have planted a seed, it just gets lost in 
in, in the routine of life and the hectic routine of life. I want you to uh, encourage you to talk to an entrusted person, a trustworthy person, and just say, hey, I don't know what this is all about exactly, but I think God was speaking to me about communicating it verbally is really, really an important step. And then with a group of trusted people, other people that are followers of Jesus and people that, uh, that can give you wise advice, to ask them to pray with you and to give you feedback to what they're sensing God is saying to you about that situation. So please take that seriously and please take the next steps. Um, and just a couple of questions. I understand from Dave, Pastor Dave told me that you guys have small groups and that usually they follow up on what the sermon topic was. So I sent him some information. But just, uh, just two questions that maybe you could talk about around over the, uh, the dinner. Do you see being involved to help in your neighborhood and city as a central part of your and your church's calling? Do you experience that as a distraction from your main job? Why or why not? Again, this is true confession time. Um, when HeartWorks was started, when it was in its incipient form, and Rachel and I would talk about it and stuff, I really struggled. And the reason, there was twofold reason why I struggled. One was because we're here as church planters. How's that fit into church planting? Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> was, did I have to have my eyes open to what the gospel, the good news, and what being church was all about. But the other one was, as I got involved in this, things from my own past were, came up again. Things of sexual immorality in my own life from the past. When I was in the military, uh, a group of my friends from the military, we went to prostitutes. And that was part of my history. Now that was something that was cared for. I became a believer then, and that was under the blood. But you know what? The devil was at work. He is the accuser of the brethren. And he just, at, I was under spiritual attack, and it was like he was saying, <laughs> you guys are going to start a ministry to men and women in prostitution. Look what you did. And I had to wrestle with the reality that there was uh, the accuser was trying to throw that in my face to hinder me from getting behind what God had already started to do. And I had to bring that to the Lord again and say, no, uh, that's under the blood, that's forgiven, and I'm in a process of transformation, of sanctification because of Jesus dying for me on the cross, of being buried, of rising again, of showing that he was really, truly alive, bodily alive, of ascending back to the Father, and then of sending the Holy Spirit. That's my identity. That other stuff was true, but it's gone. I have, I'm a new creation. And it was such a struggle. And I can almost guarantee, I can almost guarantee 
that if you start taking these things seriously and you get personally involved, there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a battle because Satan does not want prisoners to be free. He doesn't want good news lived out to the poor, proclaimed to the poor. He doesn't want recovery of sight for the blind. He doesn't want to see release for oppressed people. He wants to keep the chains in the darkness and he will do everything he can to keep this good news of the kingdom of God, the good news with Jesus as Lord at the center of it, from going out. So be prepared. Be prepared for a battle, but know that Jesus is the victor. He has triumphed. He has given you his spirit, and he will see you through even the struggles if you start to get involved in things like this. Thank you so much for allowing us to have the time. Questions have come up, things you want to talk about, please seek us out. We're in the States until the end of April this time. It's a longer home assignment. Um, and we would love to come back in this area. There's some other churches up even further north of here that we'll be visiting. But during the week and everything, um, we would be more than willing to come back in this area and everything. Thank you. And thank you all for your partnership in the gospel together with us as we partner with Austrian and German Christians. Yeah, thank you. All right, at this time, we're going to um, wrap up with our, our closing song. And I just think as we just process what we just heard and the ministry that God is doing in and through the Zooks. And I, I wonder, did they, did they see themselves when they left for the field, you know, everything that God would bring to them in their hands? You know, probably not. Probably not. They probably wouldn't have seen them starting this ministry. They probably wouldn't have seen the fruit of everything that God had done in their life, but they took steps with what God had placed in front of them in that moment and being confident of the calling that God had put in their life and being confident in that of Jesus Christ in their life. And so I want to encourage you, if you hear that calling too, how can the church get behind you? How can the people around you encourage you in what God is calling you to do? And it might not be overseas, it might be here, it might be somewhere in your work, it could be name the things. God has enabled all of us, if we are citizens of heaven, if we are children of God, then he is enabling all of us to be a part of that mission, to helping people find and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.